Welcome to Super Aging Podcast. This podcast strives to promote healthy aging and amplify caregiver voices while raising awareness about dementia. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Fatou Sise. Today, I am speaking with Mr. and Mrs. Brian and Anne-Marie Rees. Brian W. Rees Sr. spent four years serving our nation in the United States Marine Corps in machine maintenance and repair. At the age of 56, Brian was given the diagnosis of younger onset Alzheimer's disease. Brian and his wife, Anne, Anne is a special education teacher, matched their two families together almost 30 years ago with four grown sons and 14 grandkids. Anne retired 27 years after teaching special education. She uses those skills to help Brian strategize and also learn new things. Together, Anne and Brian are a formidable team, helping Brian to prepare for the challenges that Alzheimer's disease bring. I am excited to share their stories with you today. Welcome to the podcast, Brian and Anne. First, yeah. First, I want to thank you for your service to our nation. Thank you. And also, wish you both a very happy Memorial Day weekend. Same to you and to everyone else. Yeah. Thank you. It also occurred to me that June is Brain Health Awareness Month. Do you guys have any activities happening? Mm, We don't have anything planned, but let me tell you, everything that we do is really geared to things that are are good for our brains. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So Anne and Brian, this to both of you, here at Super Aging, we like to ask our, our guests what Super Aging means to them. So what does Super Aging means to both of you? Well, for me, it means growing wiser, not older, taking time to laugh at things instead of getting all stressed out about it. Absolutely right. That is true. Way to go. Yeah. And to me, super aging means aging with grace, not letting my age direct my life or dictate my life. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So, Brian, I know that you feel very strongly about advocating and raising awareness about dementia and Alzheimer's. Why is this important to you? Well, the more people are aware of this disease, the better chance there is for it to be caught early, giving people a better chance to make lifestyle changes and getting medical interventions. Mm-hmm. I speak out for those who can't speak out for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very inspiring. I've seen you firsthand work on important legislations, and it just warms my heart every time I see the work that you do around this cause to raise awareness, but also to make a huge impact on legislation by sharing your story and stories of other people. So thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Can you tell us a little about what you were feeling when you received this diagnosis? Well, I thought no one should know about my diagnosis. 
I thought it was all wrong that they had made a mistake and mm-hmm. they made me stop working. I was supposed to work until I was 66. Mm-hmm. I felt like my purpose in life was taken away. Mm. I'm really sorry to hear. That's a tough one. And what was it like? Go in a different direction. <laughs> yeah. And Anne, what was it like for you to hear the news? Were you there when the news was delivered? Yes, I was. And actually, I really knew the diagnosis probably before anyone else really did because mm-hmm. I started, I was on a research mission because I kept doing things to help Brian remember things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? I would have a conversation with him. I'd go into the other room, change my clothes, come out. He'd say, where are you going? Really? Are we just playing games or do you really not know where you're going? Mm -hmm. And then he would say like, well, it'd be really nice if somebody would tell me things around here. So I was writing things on calendars. I would talk to him about what he needed to do after work mm-hmm. and so then I would sneak out to his car and put a little note on the steering wheel and still things weren't getting done mm-hmm. or I would figure out that oh yeah he took that note off the steering wheel and totally forgot about it until he took his lunch pail off of it when he got home and then had to drive back to Janesville so I was already working on trying to figure out what was going on. Right. Of course, to him, he had, you know, it was because my expectations were too high. It was because he wasn't getting enough sleep. So I kept trying to address Mm -hmm. everything that that he would throw my way. And then I just, so when I got him to go to the doctor, not because he was having memory problems. It was because he was complaining about his arm. And so I get him, got him into the doctor and we're talking about the arm. And the next thing he knows, he's going for neuropsych testing. Um, you just trick him. <laughs> he was just like, what, what is going on What's here? that got to do with my arm? He goes, what's that got to do? Oh, no, no, no. You, you know, you're going to see this doctor about your arm, but this is, this is to see if there's another way I can help you because you keep forgetting things. And so mm. I tried to keep it positive. Right. No, I suspected something very negative. And then the other thing is, I was just digging deep, like what else could it be? So Mm -hmm. when I'd go into appointments with him, I'm sure the doctors were like, oh, here she comes with her list. Mm -hmm. But then after he got the diagnosis here in Beloit, we went to UW-Madison and asked for a second opinion because Brian was sure that they were wrong. And so I was like, okay, we need a second opinion. And when we got there, they said, there is not been one stone unturned. Um, The one doctor said, Uh I haven't seen a case like this in a long time. And I thought it's probably because not everybody has me for their spouse. (laughs) Um, Yes. But, you know, we had, we had eliminated 
anything and everything we thought could could be possible. And so when the final thing, they did a PET scan and I had talked to the technician said, when will we have the results? And she's like, well, by this day, unless they're questioning, then they will always ask for a second opinion. They'll have somebody else read the results. So when those results weren't back right away, I knew I knew what we were dealing with. Okay. And so I made sure, you know, I went to the appointment with him and yeah, I was there. Okay. How how long ago was he actually diagnosed? 10 years ago. It is 10 years already. It's yes. 10 it'll be 10 years the 21st of June. Okay. It'll be 10 years. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And so it was June too when he was diagnosed. Right. And and actually um, at that point, I thought by this time things would look different than they do. And I'm so happy that things look differently than what I had expected. Yeah, and in a good way too. At what age was Brian when you noticed the changes in him? Well, his diagnosis was when he was 56. I was watching those probably for a couple of years beforehand. Okay. I didn't really know what was going on, but then, you know, I just started red flags kept coming. And eventually I asked one of our sons to watch as well. And then when he saw things, then it was like, mom. Have you called? Have you done something? Mm. Um, so, yeah. but I'm going to say like, did we figure like two and a half years yeah. before Brian was having difficulties at work? He, he came home and he would say, they're asking me to remember things from yesterday yeah. and I can't remember them. And if you handed me my rock paper where I made notes, I kept like trip quit notes one for me mm-hmm. one for the company and i had a fail safe that when they would ask me things i could go to these items and when they would tell me that's not what you did mm-hmm. i could produce all three uh, so if i didn't do that why is it here so basically what i did for him when he was expressing these concerns about work asking him questions and and of course, he made it sound like it was weeks later. He said sometimes it would just be the day after yeah. and he couldn't okay. remember. Right. So I made him like a spreadsheet mm-hmm. and a checkoff list. So for every stop he did, he would write like in there so that if they said, did you pick up totes? Did you drop off this? Did you do that? He had little notes for himself so that he could mm-hmm. um, answer them. Right. And so that was probably when it all started. Okay. And that's yeah. when we had conversation with the doctors at UW-Madison. Mm. That's They said that probably was the start, okay. which was a couple years before. So he actually would have been like 53, 54 when okay. just not anything that people would expect for somebody that age. That is true. 
And yeah. certainly not me. I mean, it wasn't on my radar until oh, I, yeah. you know, until I started researching that there was this younger onset Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. So. Brian, yeah, it, does any of your family have Alzheimer's before? None that I know of. Uh, I got a brother, but that's alcohol related. Okay. Um, other than that, nobody in my family has shown any signs. And when Brian was diagnosed, his father's memory was better than Brian's. Yeah. So, and how old was his dad at the time? He would have been seventy something. In 73. his late, probably in his late seventies. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Some of our listeners may be familiar with Alzheimer's disease, but for those who may not be as familiar, Alzheimer's causes the formation of protein in the brain called beta amyloid and tau protein, which interferes with the communication within and between brain cells. The accumulation of protein in the brain causes symptoms of Alzheimer's. Brian, what are some of the tasks that have become difficult for you? Well, managing time. Calculations I used to be able to do in my head. I either had to have my calculator or pencil and paper. Remembering dates or when things happened. Remembering where I put things mm -hmm. and where things belong. I still have, The biggest problem I'm having right now is to have something in my hand. I set it down. I know I set it right there in front of me. And I'll do something else and I'll turn back and I need that particular tool or whatever. I don't see it until I get up, walk around the room. And I sit down again. Well, there it is, you dummy. You know, right. um, things like that. Yeah. Sometimes, difficult. sometimes yeah. I think what <laughs> happens is what the name and what the item looks like don't match for yeah. him. Okay. That that's kind of what I'm seeing. And then the other thing is he can misplace something and you and I would just go back, uh, trace our steps backwards, but he can't always remember where he was, what he did to be able to we find that. Go back and, and find that out. Mm -hmm. So tracing things back is right. difficult. Yeah. So I'm going to say like a week or so ago, he told me that he was missing a certain wrench mm -hmm. and I had looked and looked. We we've had long talks about don't spend five hours looking for that wrench. If you can just go borrow somebody <laughs> else's mm -hmm. that that's not a good use of your time. time yeah. And so then I was in the shop doing something. And mm -hmm. I went, I was going through some bins, making sure that everything was the same in the bin and, and to see if some parts needed to come out. And there was that, there was that wrench. wrench. And then he was able to, I didn't move it. I went and got him. Then I remembered exactly. And doing. then he remembered what happened. He put the wrench in the bin and then got the parts out, but didn't take the wrench back out. Mm -hmm. okay. And so, and I agree with what he's saying that those are the things he struggles with. And we kind of talk about what I can do to help him through those 
challenges. And, you know, one of the things we came up with is you can't look for five hours for your, for your lunch. The other thing is like his wallet, he has misplaced his wallet. He has misplaced keys. We have tiles on our keys that I can find. And we have one, they make one that's thin as a credit card. And he has that in his wallet. Okay. It has saved us multiple times. Oh, that's it will great. lead us right to it. That's that's wonderful. That's yeah. Wonderful. So we we found some strategies and some things to help us. That's great. And I know you have found your experience as a teacher helpful in teaching Brian to use new tools like the iPad. I remember Brian using the iPad at one of our legislative meetings, which was wonderful. Can you tell us a little about what has inspired your support for Brian? Well, I think that many people see a diagnosis like younger onset Alzheimer's disease as a set reality, like this is it. I honestly saw it as a challenge. Mm -hmm. Okay, you have memory problems? We need to find you some strategies. Right. And, um, but of course, I didn't tell him that. I just mm-hmm. thought that in my mind. We, we've got to figure out what's going to help you. Mm-hmm. And so I bought us an iPad. It nice. was my iPad. Okay. But I, I so what I did um, in is, nice of way as possible without him knowing, but basically I was teaching him how to use that iPad like I would one of my students. Right. And basically first they're watching you and then you're letting them do some of it. And pretty soon they're doing all of it. And um, we played a game called words with friends and we would do it together. Mm-hmm. And you've got these letters. Well, I said, look, we can go to use this sort of cheat in, um, on the internet. So you have to get out of one program, get into the other one, remember those letters, put them in it, and then see what words there are and go back. Well, that's a lot of steps. Yeah. Um, And at first, Brian could only remember one or two letters at a time. Okay. And so that's where I started teaching him strategies. Okay. I started saying, okay, look at those letters. What can you do to those letters Mm -hmm. to make them easier to memorize? So can you put all the vowels together? Can you make short words? You know, what can you do? And pretty soon he was able to do six or seven letters. Letters. The other thing that we learned really quickly was Brian needs to say things out loud. Mm. If he looks at the letters C A B, Mm -hmm. but doesn't say them out loud. Uh By the time we flip to the other application, he probably doesn't have it. But if he says the letters C-A-B out loud, 
Mm-hmm. By the time he flips, he will remember it. Okay. And yeah. so it's just it's just using some strategies. And it is really, it's really helped him. Yeah, he went from one, two letters. And of course, I did some helping when so that he wouldn't get too frustrated. Right. But that's where I'm using my background as a special educator to help him. Right. Eventually, I'm going to say after we had that iPad, oh, probably the first year, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it became Brian's iPad. It wasn't mine anymore. I'd be like, where's the iPad? And there he is with it. And um, Brian had a flip phone. And I will tell you my experience with Brian's cell phone prior to that would be, I would go into the cell phone place and hold his phone and say, see this phone? I need another one exactly like it or really close to it because learning new things was difficult for him. So, I mean, part of that was, you know, he, he just liked how something worked and he didn't want something new. So it's difficult. Eventually, I thought, you know, I think he could handle an iPhone. And I only had a texting phone. I didn't have an iPhone. Hmm. And so he was the first one to get the iPhone. And I did that on purpose. Right. So that I would help him. We would learn together like we did with the um, with the iPad. Okay. And of course, our family was really joking. They're like, oh, dad is going from a flip phone to an iPhone. Watch out, world. Um, it's a huge he, upgrade. Yeah, <laughs> It was a huge upgrade. And, and he, you know, I don't think he was as confident as I was. But, I, you know, I knew he was ready for that. And um, he really liked when we go to appointments and there's downtime, then he might be anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, he can play a game. That's um, great. And we found that if he's forgetting how to do something, mm-hmm. um, we were at the um, Alzheimer's Association's event. Mm-hmm. Brian was going to be presented the Courage Award. We were getting dressed in our motel room and he said, I don't remember how to tie my tie. And I went, oh, dear Lord, I don't (laughs) know how to tie a tie. I grabbed my phone Uh and I found a YouTube video Mm -hmm. and I thought this is going to help one of us. It is my teaching for learning stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness. He just watched it. And he went, oh, yeah, and tied his own tie. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, he remembered how to do it. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So yeah. talking so, about tools and games or activities, what's most useful for meeting those challenges? What kind of tools and activities or games are most useful? Oh, for me, it's been word search, looking for hidden words, words with friends. Playing solitaire, uh-huh. cards, which is a game of a cube. Okay. And you have to turn and move to a certain position to make the steam pipes flow. Okay. 
And that's dimensional. That's three dimensional. (laughs) Wow. Those those are things that I worked with all my life as being a mechanic. Okay. Being able to picture things, how they should work, where they should fit, and more or less like planning the next step. It's stuff that comes from way back that I have never forgot. Right. I play checkers with my granddaughters. That's nice. The problem is they've gotten better than I am. If I'm doing something mm-hmm. that I know I can do it, but I'm in doubt that I've got a step wrong or I'm just not sure what I'm doing, then I'd look right. on YouTube to confirm what I know is right. Such a great so resource. Messing whatever I'm doing up. Right. That's, that's wonderful. That's what I do. Good, good, good. Thanks for sharing that. YouTube yeah. is really a great resource. I mean, I use YouTube for literally anything I'm looking for. Before I even go to Google, I just go look at the videos first and right. see what I can find. So that's right. great. And the right. one thing I want to say about the phone, because I do go to support groups and I, uh-huh. um, I'm on a Facebook support groups and a lot of people say, oh, all of a sudden they forgot how to use their phone. Brian whether he likes it or not, uses his phone every single day. I have different people calling him. That's nice. Um, Our granddaughters call him. He never knew how to text a message, but- I'm still slow. Right, he's still slow at it, but at least if I am somewhere and I send him a message, Mm -hmm. pretty sure I may get a response back. She asked That's me if nice. did I write that or did somebody else write it? Well, and yeah, the day it was two. <laughs> and you said I did it all by myself, <laughs> right? The day it was two complete sentences, I was like, "Okay, who helped you?" And he said, oh. "No, I did it. I did it myself." Took me all day. Um, oh. That's yeah, incredible. We also have a joke about at first he wasn't answering robocalls. I said, mm-hmm. "Go ahead, answer them. Have fun." Brian has a great sense of humor. humor yeah. I'm not sure that the robocall people appreciate his sense of humor, but it is really funny to listen to him talk to them on the phone. <laughs> I bet. So. I bet. So, Anne, how have support for Brian evolved over the years since his diagnosis? Well, it just kind of changes slowly. I think one thing that I could say like his, his medication. So at first we used to get his medications and put them in a box together. And then it was his cell phone that had an alarm set and it was his responsibility to go and get his meds and take them. But we definitely have had some little challenges along the way that have made us know that you know, maybe we need to change that. Okay. And so now it's it's evolved to, I do all the med boxes. It's my phone that has the alarm. Okay. If I'm going to be gone, our son and daughter-in-law live across the street from us. So one of them mm-hmm. will check to make sure he's taken his meds. Okay. That's great. That's great. So talking about accessibility of support, I know things are getting better, but I would imagine 10 years ago, it would be hard to get support groups for people at Brian's age for the younger onset. 
what kind of support was out there for you guys? Well, they had looked for a long time for the support group, mm-hmm. and there was nothing in our area. We started going to, without warning, a support group for these those with younger onset Alzheimer's, 88 miles away. Ah, um, that far. Yeah, we traveled. We traveled about an hour and 20 minutes to get there. But after the first meeting, I knew we would have to keep going because there was a group of people that Brian could talk with. That were in the same boat as I was. Yeah. And so that... How big was that group? How big was the group? The group varied anywhere from nine people at the time, one day up to 15 people. And unfortunately, I had the experience of seeing people that I'd met of, it didn't matter whether you're a teacher, an airplane pilot, a race car driver, mm-hmm. a banker, a known publicist, somebody that worked in movies as a producer. It, it yeah. doesn't matter your background, what you know, it can happen to anybody. It sure and does. I've I've watched people that at that time I could communicate with steadily fall off the edge because their ability to do something to keep going was Mm -hmm. to sit at their desk or sit on the couch. That's all they did because their spouses were working. So they're told you stay right there. Don't go nowhere. I feel that that's what makes people fall off the edge sooner. That is true. I know Anne mentioned something at the beginning of the meeting or even prior to the meeting, like not everybody have a spouse like Anne, right? Right. And it's such a nice, uh, you guys are such a great team together to walk this journey along with each other. It's, it's, it's I, really I nice. know that working in our group, we have like a round table. We go to each person mm-hmm. and somebody will mention something or another and Eventually, they get to me, and I, I challenge them to do something different, to, to learn something they never learned. I'm ambidextrous to an extent. So I challenge people that are totally right-handed, put it in their pocket, do everything left-handed. Mm-hmm. They're using part of your brain you've never used before. You know, you're, yes. you're teaching yourself something. Yes. Um, I've had a couple of people, one picked up the flute, the mm-hmm. young lady. Or woman, mm-hmm. and uh, she never played flute in her life, but she was learning. But her teacher moved away, mm-hmm. so she picked up the piano. Well, another person picked up a guitar, he's never played. And then other people would ask me questions in our little group Well, what if I forget? Well, do it again. Yeah, eventually yeah. something's going to click for you that mm-hmm. you might remember what you did. A sister, well, what if I right? Don't remember the song. I said, make your own song. Mm-hmm. You know, be yeah. creative. Be creative. And you know, Brian, thank you so much for sharing that. There is this um, term called neuroplasticity that our brains are, uh, have the ability to recreate new brain cells. Mm-hmm. And that is with the use of like things that are challenging and learning new things. That way our brain cells grow, regrow right. again. So that's exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing is that I've known you guys now for many years and uh, and have been very inspired by the kind of work 
both of you are doing, not only for this Alzheimer's course, but also within the community that you live in. And to see you continue to do that, I mean, it is usually, like they said, the early onset folks tend to decline more quickly Mm -hmm. than the regular Alzheimer's disease. But I've seen something different in you in, in a way that like you continue to do all these activities. And I think that's very inspiring. So what do you explain might have a lot to do with that as well. So thank you for explaining that. You're welcome. Yeah. The one thing I'm going to say is three, we noticed that three men in the group without warning really kind of held steady. And there was something very much the same for all three it was Brian and two other men, and that's that their wives were home with them, or one man and his wife had a janitorial business, um, and they worked together, and he stopped doing part of the job, like going out and doing the janitorial work, but he stayed, but he stayed back at the office and okay. worked on and worked on the floor scrubbers and the, you know, the mechanical things. So he was working on working with his hands, challenging himself, repairing the janitorial equipment. The other man did stained glass Mm -hmm. and he kept doing it. So we, you know, our little observation is one, having somebody there with you, encouraging you and helping you through the little bumps that, right. that might be there is helpful. And then doing something that's keeping your mind active. If you're working on janitorial, you're working on bicycles, you're working on stained glass, those things are keeping your mind active. That's absolutely true. That is absolutely true. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to Super Agent Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the program. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out by leaving us a comment or sending us a message via email superagentpodcast at gmail.com or connect with us through social media. And if you haven't done so already, please feel free to subscribe to any of your favorite podcast listening site apple spotify or anywhere you listen to your podcast and leave us a review until next time remember that self-care is self-love take good care